0: Thank you for listening to this recent message from The Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about The Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com.
1: Hey, what's up, Rescue Church? I want to say good morning and welcome to each and every one of you in all of our locations. It's great having you joining us for church today, whether you're sitting in one of our campuses or whether you're joining us online. Uh, Thank you for being with us today. I've got a quick question for you. How many of you have ever heard someone make an expression like this, where they say, like, I know you can talk the talk. But can you walk the walk? Anybody ever heard someone say that, or a variation of that expression? What do they mean when they say that? Like what, what they're really saying is, "I know you can claim something with your mouth, right? Talk is cheap. We've heard that before. You can say anything you want to say, but can you back up those statements with your life? Can, can you back up those statements with evidence? an action that supports the claims that your mouth is making. I've got a little see- a little surprise I want to share with you guys this morning. Uh, this past week, one of my staff members shared a video with me that I found hilarious. I'll kind of set the stage for what you're about to see. It's a great example of somebody uh, who can talk the talk, but maybe doesn't have the goods to walk the walk. Okay, and, and so here's here's kind of the, the the scene, if you will. Uh, we're going to see a gal showing up for a job interview that she thinks she's qualified for. She's got the talk. But uh, we're going to see whether or not she can back up those claims by actually walking the walk. Go ahead and check out this video.
2: Amy, it says you are trained in technology. That's very good. Are you adept at Excel? No. PowerPoint? No. Publisher?
0: Not really.
2: Exactly in what area of technology mm-hmm. are you proficient? <laughs>
0: Snapchat, Pinterest, Instagram, Vine, Twitter, you know, the big ones.
2: I'm surprised you didn't say Facebook.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's for old people, like my parents. (laughs) That's funny.
2: Well, Amy, when you're working for me, you have to have those kind of research skills because I'll send you things for you to comb through and get the answers and send them to me. So for that, you've got to be really good at technology.
0: For stuff like that, no problem. I'll just ask Siri.
2: You'll just ask Siri?
0: You know, Siri tell me this, Siri find me that. We're all good getting you the answers.
2: Tell Siri, I want you ready to go at eight, sharp, each and every morning.
0: I don't understand.
2: What don't you understand?
0: What you just said.
2: You don't understand, be ready to go?
0: No. You said 8, right? Yes. 8, like, in the morning 8?
2: Yes, in the morning.
0: Yeah. That kind of doesn't work for me. Who gets up at
2: 8? I do.
0: I Skype with my French boyfriend in Paris until, like, 3 in the morning. I don't even get to Starbucks until, like, 10, where I order my grande chai tea latte, three pumps, milk, light water, 2% foam, extra hot, but not too hot. So if it's okay... I work best in the morning at ten
2: forty-five. <laughs> wow amy i don't think we're going to be a good fit
0: why are you so negative i can sense your hostilities and right now i am not feeling very safe i've been here for over five minutes and the only nice thing you have said to me was nice resume which i typed all night for this meeting with you. You've given me no guidance, no validation, no encouragement, no supervision. Is there an HR director somewhere? HR director? Yes, I need to speak to someone. I may have to take off today as a mental health day.
2: Take today off, you, Amy, Amy, look at me. You don't work here. Are you firing me? Okay, yes.
1: Man, I gotta tell you, uh, I I find that hilarious, and real quick, because in in case I offended anybody in the crowd that needs to find their safe place, I gotta tell you real fast, to the younger generation, uh, just know this, I know that's kind of an overcharacterization of what we call the millennial generation, but in all seriousness, can I just tell you the truth, young people, I don't really believe that that's how all of you are. Okay? I think there's a lot of great people in every generation and I think there's a lot of bums in every generation. So I know a lot of young people that are killing it and getting it done and we've got them on our team and I want more on our team. So just don't be offended by that. If if to whatever degree that characterization is true of your life, I'll just be the first to gently invite you to grow up a little bit and don't be like that, okay? Don't be someone who can talk the talk But not walk the walk, all right? Today in our time together as we continue through the book of John, we're going to hear Jesus do more than just talk the talk. We're going to hear Jesus back up that the claims that he made with his mouth, with the works that he did, From his life. So if you've got your Bibles, I would invite you to join me in John chapter 10 as we continue to make our way through the book of John. Quick review, uh, last Sunday we were in the first part of John 10 and we saw where Jesus claimed to be the good shepherd and and we talked about some of the implications for our life because of that. And so if you missed that message, I'm telling you, go back and, and watch it at therescuechurch.com dot com, get caught up on where we're at in the series because today we're going to pick right up where we left off last week, and we're going to hear more amazing truth from Jesus Christ Himself as He's speaking here in John chapter ten. I'm going to start reading in verse twenty-two. John writes this. He says, "Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem." Quick side note for you people who love history. This is talking about the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah, and there's some very interesting history of how that came about. If if you want to go check that out on your own time, it's well worth it. Very fascinating how uh, Hanukkah came to be, and this is exactly what's happening. It's basically the season of Hanukkah. It was winter, the Bible says, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Let me just pause here to ask a question real quick. Have you ever thought to yourself, and especially maybe those of you who are not yet Christ followers, have you ever kind of just thought, you know, if there really is a God... Why doesn't he just come out and show himself to me? If he wants a relationship with me, why doesn't he just reveal himself? Why is there faith involved in this thing where I have to believe in a God that I cannot see? I mean, I think that's a pretty common question that that people are asking. And that's kind of what what the Jewish people are asking of Jesus. They're kind of like, all right, if you really are the Messiah, just tell us plainly. Just come out and and make the, the claim plainly. Watch what Jesus says next to this. Verse 25 Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. I believe Jesus would say that to some people listening and watching this message today. I don't have to come out and prove anything to you. I've already proven myself to you, but the problem is you don't believe. And then watch what Jesus goes on to say next. He's going to point to the evidence. It's more than just what he claims with his mouth. Verse 25, he says, The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. He's going back to that metaphor that we talked about last week where he calls himself the good shepherd. He says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I love this next line. He says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Okay, let's pause just real quick, and and I want to summarize a few things that we just heard jesus say in that passage of scripture if you've got your handouts if you're following along with me in the message today here's the first thing i would ask you to write down the works of jesus back up the claims of jesus the works of jesus back up the claims of jesus what do we mean by that what we heard jesus say is this I did clearly tell you and claim to be the Messiah. You don't believe. The works that I have done are evidence of what I have claimed to be true. And we're going to hear him say in just a moment, even if you don't believe my words, at least believe the works that you have seen me do. So here's what I want to tell you. Anyone listening today, I want you to know that God has already revealed himself to you, and he owes you no more revelation than what he's already given. And some people might might be tempted to ask, well, what? Like, I haven't seen God in my life. He's never showed up in my living room. He's never made himself that clear to me. And, And I would say otherwise. And I think scripture would tell a different story. I want to just very briefly label three ways in which Jesus has shown himself to all of us. There are many, many more, both general and specific to your life, ways that God has shown himself real in your life, The fact that you haven't recognized him probably says more about your lost soul than it says about his ability to speak. And I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But let me give you three ways that Christ has made himself known to us and revealed himself to us. The first one, if you want to write this down on your notes, is creation. What do I mean by creation? I mean it's the world, the created universe, the physical world around us in which we live and we can see and measure and hold it in our hands. And and I know, I know someone out there is listening to this, watching this going, are you serious? You're really one of those religious, Neanderthal, weak-minded people that actually believe there's a creator. Someone told you that and you believe it. Yes, I'm that person who believes what God's Word tells us to be the case. Not just because I read it in the Bible, but because I can see it with my own eyes. I want to share with you what the psalmist had to say about creation in Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. I love this passage of Scripture. The psalmist says this, "...the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands." Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. I love that. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. You want to know what the psalmist is saying here? The psalmist is saying that when we go outside and look at the sunrise coming up, when we look into the heavens at night and see the stars and the moon, when we look around at this physical universe in which we live, we know there's a God because creation declares it. The heavens declare the glory of God. There's no language in the world throughout any part, part of human history where that Language has not been spoken the language of creation where we look around and go. I know this didn't just happen all by itself And I know we're told that ever since you know, uh Darwin and then Karl Marx We've been teaching it ever since that that once upon a time there was nothing and all of a sudden bang There was everything that we have around us. It's complete foolishness It does not even hold up to scientific theory that out of nothing came everything, and yet that's what we pin our hope and faith on when we choose to ignore what our hearts know to be the case anyway, that there is a creator. Foolishness to somehow think there was nothing and then a big explosion caused by nothing that created everything and made everything. Foolishness. The psalmist also says in Psalm 53, 1, the fool says in his heart there is no God. It's foolishness to believe in your mind and to suppress what your heart and what your logical brain tells you. As you look around our world and go, nope, this has no purpose. Life has no meaning. You know, this is just random accidental chance that all this came to be. All these intricate systems that rely on one another all happened accidentally. And it was nothing that caused it. Nope, no designer, nothing outside of it. Foolishness. On your notes, I've given you Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. You can go read it on your own, but it's another passage I would point you to that that tells us the reason why we so desperately want to believe what Darwin said was true. It says that God's wrath is being revealed against mankind because his judgment is coming on us, because even though he revealed himself very plainly through his creation, it says in that passage, so that men are without excuse. Again, I think that just ties in with what the psalmist said that there's no speech There's no language in all the earth where the voice of creation and the creator is not heard That we are without excuse, but because of the wickedness in our heart We suppressed the truth of god's created order all around us because we did not want to look in the face Of a god that we might actually be accountable to and so out of the wickedness in our hearts we suppress the truth of creation what we know to be the case don't be a fool don't be a fool and say in your heart there is no god that's foolishness that's absolute foolishness i would contend that jesus has revealed himself through his creation and, and you may say what, what wait time out jesus was present at creation yep how do we know that well we know that we serve a triune god and I know the doctrine of the Trinity, you know, one God that's made up of three distinct persons gets a little trippy for those of us that are limited with a finite human brain, myself included. So I can't totally claim to understand fully what the Trinity means, but I know as I study Scripture, we see the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, and in Genesis, we see all three members of the, the Trinity in creation. If you read the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, you'll see where the Bible says that God said, let us make man in our own image. Well, who's the us? Who's the we? It's, it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus was absolutely present at creation, and his creation still speaks. The works of Christ back up the claims of Christ. Well, what else? I would also point you to the miracles of Jesus, if you want to write that one down. And we're not going to take the time today to look at any one specific miracle, but we've been looking at them as we study the book of John and as we read the gospel accounts. Forget all of the Old Testament miracles of God doing powerful, amazing things. Let's just look at the life of Jesus. And what do we see him doing? We see him taking a limited amount of fish and bread and multiplying it for thousands of people to eat. We see Jesus walking on water and turning water into wine and telling people who've been crippled from birth, stand up, take your mat, and walk. We we watch Jesus restoring the sight of a man born blind. We see accounts of Jesus calling dead people back from the grave. And here's the thing you need to know about the New Testament for those of you that would just be quick to dismiss it and go, that's just some religious writing. Well, check this out. The, The writings of the New Testament have been historically validated on a far greater level than so much other literature that we embrace and go, yep, this is good, it's validated, it's real stuff. The New Testament has been scrutinized far more than that. And we're talking about writings that, that of, of historical events that were witnessed by thousands of eyewitnesses. This is reliable stuff. You can't deny the evidence that a man named Jesus walked this earth and he did powerful, divine, supernatural miracles. I would contend the works of Jesus back up the claims of Jesus. And then, not the least of which was the resurrection. And we're going to talk about that in just a few weeks on Easter Sunday. Like... Probably one of the greatest miracles of all time. The, the, the thing that stands out about Jesus is not that he died on a cross as a, a sacrificial death for my sin and your sin. All of us are going to die someday. I hope I don't die like Christ did on the cross. But everybody's going to die. The thing that sets Jesus apart from any other truth claim in the world is that he came back and he said he would and three days later he overcame sin and death and hell and again, all kinds of eyewitnesses saw Jesus die and they saw him come back. You gotta deal with that evidence. Jesus is here to tell you today I did more than just claim to be God. I demonstrated the fact that I am God by the works that I've done and for you to deny it says more about your heart than it does about me as God. Which, by the way, leads to the next thing I'd have you write down, is this, a summary from the verses we just read. Unbelief is evidence that I don't belong to the good shepherd. If you're watching this today and you don't believe in Jesus Christ, that's just evidence that you don't belong to him either. You don't know his voice as the good shepherd. We heard Jesus say in that passage, you do not believe because you are not my sheep that's why you don't believe it's because you don't belong to me you know I I said it this way and this is really good this this statement came to me as I was preparing this like you ought to put this one on Facebook because it's just that good of a statement I believe God is saying it to us like this the burden of proof is not upon me the burden of belief is upon you It's not God's burden to prove himself to us. He's already done far more than we deserve. The burden of belief is on us to examine that evidence and somehow justify why we still haven't bowed our knee in submission to that God who can do that. The burden of belief is on you. The burden of proof is not upon God. And so if you don't believe, it's just evidence that you don't yet belong to Christ. And I want to put a little gentle disclaimer on that. That's not to say, I'm not trying to say that if you ever have doubts or if you have real questions about things or if you would acknowledge, hi, there's so much about God I don't understand. I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation and say you're not a Christian. I'm talking about someone who consistently and constantly struggles with the belief in the basic claims of Christ that he is the son of God sent to this earth to take the sin of humankind upon himself and die on a cross making forgiveness to our eternal father possible for you and I. And when I choose or when I struggle to accept that, that says a lot more about my heart and the eternal destiny of my heart. I don't belong to the Father yet. I don't belong to the Good Shepherd when there's that unbelief that's there. But the truth is this, we all struggle with doubt from time to time, right? I do. I know many other Christians, we have a lot of questions. There's times we don't fully understand things. So again, I'm I'm trying to put that gentle disclaimer. As a matter of fact, you could jot down if you want the, the words or the verse Mark 9:24. This is a prayer that I I find myself praying often in my life. It comes out of a story where uh, Jesus healed a a, a man's son who had been possessed by a demon. But in there, Jesus made this statement that anything is possible if you believe. And this father of this son said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I, I love that tension that's there because I live in that tension so often where it's like, Lord, I do believe in you. I do trust you. I do accept you as my Lord and Savior, and yet I still wrestle with the fact that all I can see in the human realm is human limitations and the impossibilities of my ability. So Lord, I believe, but on the other hand, help my unbelief. Like that tension will probably always be there. I'm talking about someone who resists and rejects the claims of Christ to be the Son of God, and you just don't believe it. You don't accept it it says far more about your soul than it says about God's ability to prove himself to you. He's already proven himself over and over through the works of Jesus Christ. He doesn't owe you anything else in terms of proving himself to you. We owe him belief. And is, is does it take faith to believe in God? Yes. Does it take faith to believe in a God I cannot see? Is it ultimately faith that saves us? Yes, according to scripture, but I got to tell you this. It's not blind faith. It's not blind faith that we just have to take everything, uh, you know, as, as it's given to us. Like, it's faith that's based on real evidence that we can measure and go, man, this looks very believable that there's a God who created all of this, and he sent his son to this earth who did divine, supernatural, miraculous things, and he rose again from the grave like, that's not blind faith. I can put my faith in that. And and so I believe Jesus Christ would call us to overcome our unbelief and accept him as our Lord and Savior. And when we do that, here's another summary statement from that scripture. The results of belonging to Jesus are eternal life, indestructible life, and security. He said, where where are you getting that, John? Remember when Jesus said that if you belong to the good shepherd, I will give you eternal life. And and he said, they shall never perish. That, That means that that doesn't mean we won't die physically, right? Every one of us will die physically, but for those of us who are in Christ, death is not the end, it's the beginning. You really can't destroy this life. You can take my physical life, but you can't take my eternal life and my eternal security in Christ. He even goes on to talk about security when he says that, that you cannot be taken away from the Father's hand. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And again, what that doesn't promise is that we're going to go through life with no problems. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that there will never be any storms that come along in life and rock the boat. But what he's saying is that the boat's not going to capsize because my Father's holding you in his hands. No one can take you away from my Father's hands. You're secure when you belong to the Good Shepherd. Well, I want to keep reading through this because we've got some more really good stuff to uncover here. Next verse, look at this, verse 30. Jesus goes on to say this, I and the Father are one. Let me pause before we go any further. I and the Father are one. I'm going to drill down into this every chance I see it in the book of John, and, and it's just worth saying because we, you will hear people tell you in our culture, in our biblically illiterate society that wants to reject the truth that they know in their heart to be the truth, you'll hear people say, Jesus never claimed to be God. And when people say that, it's just pure ignorance of what the Bible says because Jesus, oh, really? He never claimed a divine place? Well, watch what happens next. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? And look what they said, we are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Oh, Jesus never claimed to be God? Well, he's got a whole bunch of religious people ready to kill him because they clearly understood what he was clearly saying, that he and the Father are one, that he is divine, that he is sent from God, that he belongs to God, that he is God. They're ready to kill him for it. And by the way, two quick things I want to point out about their response to Jesus. First of all, they're validating his works, right? Even his enemies, even his religious establishment opponents validated the fact that he did good works. Because they said, no, no, we're not, we're not stoning you for the good works we've seen you do. Our issue us- issues with the fact that you just claim to be God. So again, not only are they validating his works, they're also saying to anyone in our culture today that would say, Jesus never claimed to be God. Oh yeah, they thought he said it. They're ready to kill him for it. Just understand that Jesus clearly claimed to be God and that's a claim you and I cannot ignore. We have to deal with that. Next verse, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I have said you are gods, and by the way, he's quoting Psalm 82, 6 there, where uh, the, the judges of Israel are being told to judge righteous, in righteousness because they, they represented God's authority to the people. So he's, he's referring to them as gods there. So Jesus is saying, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said I am God's son. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works. That you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. And again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Once again, they clearly understood Jesus is claiming to be God and they were ready to kill him for it. Well, what do we hear Jesus saying in this passage? We hear Jesus saying, don't just believe the words that I'm saying, believe the works that I've done. My works back up my claims. I don't just talk the talk, I walk the walk. That's what we're hearing Jesus say in this passage of Scripture. By the way, there's two other things I want to just draw out of here real quick. If you've got your notes in front of you, underline these two words or these two phrases. Underline the, the phrase where it says, set apart in there where Jesus claims that he was set apart, and then underlined the word sent. So what Jesus said, what we heard him say, was that he has been set apart by God for God's holy purposes. There's a Bible word that, that we'll read in other parts of the New Testament, the word is sanctification. And then Jesus claims that he was sent into the world on this great rescue mission. Like, he was sent by the Father into this world. Why am I asking you to underline those two words? Because I want you to notice, for those of us who claim Christ as our good shepherd, watch this. If it's true that Jesus was set apart for God's holy purposes, and if it's true that Jesus was sent into the world, and if we're his followers, then what does that mean for our life? It means that we too are set apart For God's holy purposes. He has a holy plan and a holy purpose for your life and for my life. And what we know is that that plan is going to be sending us into the world as ambassadors for Christ. Maybe some of you on your notes might just want to write down next to that this simple phrase social media. I mean, there's a lot of applications that we could go down this road as Christ followers, but right now I'm just on this kick where I see people who claim the name of Jesus, and in person they seem like really sweet people, but then they get behind the screens of their computer or their phone where they feel like they have this safety of anonymity, and they get nasty toward the very world that Christ sent us to reach and and represent Him to. And so Christian, I'm just saying, man, don't, Jesus did not send you as an ambassador to bring judgment and and criticism and meanness and harshness into the world by how nasty you can be on social media. He set you apart for a holy purpose and he sent you into the world to represent him well to people who need him. I just got a question. Does your behavior on social media reflect that? And again, we can take that far beyond social media, just into life in general. But Christians, we're getting a bad name on social media for how nasty we can be to the world and how mean and judgmental and harsh. That's not Christ. That's not Christ. He, he set us apart for holy purposes, and he sent us into the world to represent his forgiveness, his love, his mercy, his grace to a world that's in desperate need of hope. Maybe something to think about the next time we log on to Twitter or Facebook or any of those social media sites. A couple more verses, and then I'm going to close this out here. Verse 40, we'll we'll get to the end of the chapter here. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. He's talking about John the Baptist. We haven't heard his name for a while. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And I love this last verse of John chapter 10. It says, and in that place, many believed in Jesus. Man, that would be my prayer for the rescue church on this Sunday, that many in that place would believe in Jesus. Wherever that place is this morning, whatever campus you're joining us from, wherever you're watching from online, my prayer is that today, many people in this church would believe in Jesus and take one or more of three very clear next steps to know Jesus, to grow in faith, and to go serve others. So let me ask you, do you know him? Do you know the good shepherd? Do you belong to him? Have you put your faith in Christ and come to believe in his name? Not as in, I believe there's a big man upstairs or the big fella in the sky. I'm talking, do you have a personal relationship with the one he sent into this world with the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you asked him to be your personal savior through faith? If not, I want you to know in just a moment as I close in a word of prayer, you can pray from wherever you're joining us from. And ask Jesus to be your good shepherd. Say, Jesus, I accept you. I believe in you as my Lord and my Savior. Please come into my life today. Do you know him? Secondly, do are you growing? Like, are you growing in this walk of faith? You know what? Just as it's true that Jesus, we heard Jesus today say, Look, I'm doing more than just claiming stuff with my mouth, I'm actually backing it up with my life. If Jesus did that, then how much more important is it for us as his followers? When we talk about growing in our faith, I think a part of that means, are there works that you can demonstrate Christ really lives in your life? Like, can the world see real action behind the things that you claim with your mouth? So great, you claim on social media to be a Christian. You share a Bible verse every now and then. You tell your friends you go to church. That's awesome. Are there works that back up those claims that Jesus has changed your life? Now, let me be very clear. We are not saved by our good works. We don't earn our favor with God by the things that we do. But I do believe that good works are still important because it's through our good works we show the world that we have faith in Jesus. You can jot down James chapter 2 if you want. We're not going to take the time to go look at it but in James 2, James asks this very powerful question. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but, but has no deeds? Meaning there's no works, there's no action. You claim faith in Christ, but there's nothing to back it up. You talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk. Later in that passage in James chapter 2, we're, we're going to hear him say, you, know, you claim to have faith, I will show you my faith by my works. That's what growing looks like. Growing looks like I'm following and obeying Jesus in my life and he's starting to change me. And that change is not just on the inside, it it starts to become external where it changes my relationships with people, it changes how I handle my money, it changes how I raise my kids, it changes how I use my time and what my priorities are. He changes my life in the best way possible and people see it. So, Christian, how are you doing? Are you growing? What evidence is there in your life that you're growing in a relationship with Christ? And and to me, growing and going go hand in hand. Because a growing Christian will also be a going Christian. If you're growing in your walk with Christ, again, the works will be there. He will send you out into the world to touch the lives of others in his name. So, what evidence is there in your life that you're growing and following Christ by how you go into the world and reach people you know in our offering time today i talked about how we're going to be in prayer for people that we're going to invite now's the time to start praying about that and thinking about that who am i going to go to and invite and when you do are they going to be like really you go to church like you don't really come across as a churchy type person to me like i don't really see anything in your life that would indicate you would be at church on easter but you're inviting me that's weird My prayer for the people of the Rescue Church is that many people would come to believe in Christ and that there would be works in our lives that back up the claims that we actually know and follow Jesus. So whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do with that, I'm just going to pray right now and ask God to work in our hearts as a result of this message. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer together today. God, I'm grateful for this morning that you've given to us and the opportunity to share your truth. Lord, thank you for Jesus that he didn't just come to say a bunch of stuff, but he actually backed up those claims with real action and real works. And Lord, the burden of proof is not upon you. The burden of belief is on us to examine the evidence and to accept it. Lord, we, I agree, we agree that in your word, it clearly tells us the problem with our unbelief. It's the wickedness in our hearts that we want to suppress that truth. Holy Spirit, right now, I pray you would just be ripping off the blinders of the hearts of those that are listening today that have never trusted you as their Lord and Savior. Might they see you today for who you really are. Help them overcome their unbelief. God, I pray that there would be many in this place today who come to call on the name of Jesus for the gift of eternal life, an indestructible life and security that only comes through the Good Shepherd. And then, God, I pray, just like Jesus, I pray that in our lives we would have works to back up our claims as well, that we would be growing Christians that are also going into our communities and into our world to share the hope and the love of Christ with those that you would call us to go reach. God, I just invite you to use this message in any way that you see fit in the hearts of your people today. We love you, and it's in your precious and powerful name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for tuning
0: in to the Rescue Church Past Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv every Sunday
2: at 10 a.m.